I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Today, I'm going to talk about dissociation. I get a lot of questions about dissociation. What is it? How to deal with it? When it's happening? When it's not happening? And I just wanted to talk about dissociation at a clinical and a subclinical level and also explain how everyone experiences dissociation. On the podcast, you've often heard me talk about something called an escape plan. Dissociation and escape plan for the purposes of this episode will be used a little bit interchangeably. So like a lot of mental health disorders or, you know, issues, dissociation hasn't been explored very much because dissociative identity disorder is fairly rare. Since 2000, there has been more interest and a greater respect for trauma and what we call trauma-informed care for clinical professionals. So that way, people who do experience trauma and clinical issues related to trauma are treated with care and not put into another invalidating environment. The term trauma comes from the Greek word meaning wound. And in its most general sense, it can be defined as any unhealed wound of a physical, emotional, psychological, sexual, or spiritual nature. Like physical wounds, other types of trauma can be experienced in various degrees and levels of intensity. If left unhealed or unprocessed, problems can result that impair an individual's lifestyle or way of being in the world. The most common trauma-related diagnosis is post-traumatic stress disorder. Although, as you guys know, other clinical diagnoses such as adjustment disorders, reactive attachment disorder, and personality disorders can also have their root in unhealed trauma. I'm sure a lot of that resonates with many of you. As trauma awareness and understanding increases, the field is also realizing that many other diagnoses can have a root in unhealed trauma, or their severity can be exacerbated by unhealed trauma. Some people have hypothesized that wherever there's trauma, some kind of aspect of dissociation exists. And you can think of it this way. If trauma is walking in the door, dissociation is at least waiting in the parking lot. So why is that? Well, the word dissociation is just derived from a Latin word. It's a Latin root word meaning to sever or to separate. So dissociation, you can think of it this way. It's the inherent human tendency to separate oneself from the present moment when, when it becomes unpleasant or overwhelming, an escape clause. Dissociation can also refer to severed or separated aspects of oneself. These separations can be referred to as parts, different parts of self. I'm sure if you look at sensationalized versions of uh, of DID, you can see that in the media portrayal there are different alters or, or parts and it's important not to just look to the media for portrayal of dissociative identity disorder or DID, right? So that's what we're looking at, different parts and that's at a clinical level, right? 
So when we look at different parts, it's seen as more normalizing and less shaming if we're talking about dissociation, because like all humans dissociate, and all humans have different parts or aspects themselves of themselves. So in cases of clinically significant dissociation, the separation of parts is typically more pronounced. I'm going to say that again, all humans dissociate. So let's explore that a bit more. The fact that dissociation encapsulates two meanings, the separation from the present moment that can manifest in a variety of different ways and the separation from aspects of self, it can make learning about it and understanding it pretty confusing, right? So if we just consider how the general purposes of dissociation are the same in both constructs, it's to protect yourself and to get your needs met, right? Even the most innocuous example of a person zoning out or daydreaming can be seen through this lens. So that is what we talk about when we say normalizing dissociation and that all humans associate. Think about daydreaming. Think about when you're on your phone playing a game. Individuals can go away in their minds to protect themselves from the distress of the present moment, whether that distress shows up as boredom, pain, or overwhelm. Parts or aspects of yourself will either develop over time or fail to integrate with the total self, which is something that is common also in borderline personality disorder, this integration and self-awareness of different aspects of self. And that happens to protect yourself or remember that other purpose of dissociation to get needs met. So Remember, two purposes of dissociation, to protect oneself or to get needs met. And typically, that starts in early childhood because an individual is looking for a need or for protection from a primary caregiver that they're not perceiving to get. One of the leading psychiatric scholars in the treatment of dissociation is Dr. Elizabeth Howell. If you want to check it out, the book that she wrote is called The Dissociative Mind, and she contends that chronic trauma that occurs early in life has profound effects on personality development and can lead to the development of dissociative identity disorder, other dissociative disorders, personality disorders, psychotic thinking, and a host of symptoms such as anxiety, depression, eating disorders, and substance abuse. She states, in my view, DID is simply an extreme version of the dissociative structure of the psyche that characterizes us all. Dissociation, in a general sense, refers to the rigid separation of parts of experience, including somatic experience, consciousness, affects, perceptions, identity, and memory. Right? So if we look at dissociative experiences as something that everyone goes through when they daydream or, dream or, or check out or binge watch TV, then we can normalize the experience and think of it as existing at a clinical or a subclinical level, right? So when you're contemplating dissociation in a general sense to help demystify it, you want to think about these common expressions of dissociation, Daydreaming, zoning out, inability to make appropriate eye contact, escaping, 
to imaginal or fantastical landscapes in the mind or losing emotional connection to a story being told. Some people will start to yawn, fall asleep, or lose appropriate volume in their voice when they're distressed. It is very likely that most, if not all, people have done one or more of these things in their lives and may even do them on a regular basis with or without a clinically significant dissociative diagnosis. Modern-day examples of dissociation include watching too much television, playing on your phone, or mind-numbingly scrolling through social media. How many people are guilty of that, whether they have diagnoses or not? These activities are actually not dissociative in and of themselves, but they can be used in a dissociative manner. Even activities used in therapy for emotion regulation, including guided visualizations, can be dissociative because they remove the practitioner from their present surroundings and experiences. While the intention may be solid and indeed very helpful to many people, you have to consider how you could continue to use that exercise in escape as an escape instead of as a healthy coping strategy. So like I've talked about in previous episodes, anything in moderation is good and that's what we're striving for in recovery, right? Not something on an extreme end of a spectrum, but something in moderation and dissociate, dissociation, excuse me, is something that can be used as a healthy coping strategy that's used by all humans, but When it is used as an escape, it becomes clinical. When it is used as something to the extreme and it interferes with your ability to have relationships with others and to process through your trauma, then it becomes an unhealthy coping strategy or a maladaptive coping strategy. So as you can see, in normalizing dissociation, we really can look at, you know, talking about it in such a way that separates dissociation that is occurring in your recovery journey that is part of just, you know, that normal human experience versus looking at every single time you're dissociating as a clinical issue. Now, looking at how to treat dissociation, one really Effective treatment is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is called EMDR therapy. EMDR therapy, it it is incredibly helpful for people who are looking to engage in more adaptive strategies or therapy to help with dissociative experiences in terms of decreasing them, right? So EMDR is going to work for some people. It's not going to work for other people as with anything else. Because what is adaptive to one person may not be adaptive to another person. Right? So let's keep looking at commonplace examples of dissociation so that we can start demystifying it and continue to normalize it. So another example of a commonplace dissociation is binge watching television. How many people can say that they do that? This practice could be dissociative in a maladaptive sense, right, in a bad way, but it could also be a needed avenue for self-care that helps a person disconnect from the rigors of work life and day-to-day responsibilities, depending on the relationship and the intention with the activity. So if you're trying to figure out whether or not the behavior you engage in is part of of your clinical diagnosis, you have to look at that. Find the root. What is the relationship with the activity? What is your intention? Are you intending 
to check out and to escape? Or are you intending to just have a healthy outlet for rest? I mean, you have to think about what your intention is because it's a subjective experience. I could argue that I am watching TV because I want to take a break or I want to relax. And you could say, well, no, you're doing that as an escape. And so it's up to you to be able to understand that relationship and intention of the activity. Because remember, not all dissociative experiences are maladaptive or clinical in nature because all human beings dissociate, right? So we want to definitely be careful about throwing the term around, the term dissociation. In normalizing dissociation, it's also really important to examine the notion of parts or aspects of self. So think about the terminology inner child. Many people use that terminology, right? Some people, especially those who struggle with addiction, you may even have heard this term Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So this is a the different parts of people and the ability to integrate different parts comes up in recovery. Some people will even say that their sadness or their anger or other emotional experiences can take on a life of their own. Well, that can also speak to a separation of parts. So as you can see, in something clinical like dissociative identity disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder, personality disorder, adjustment disorder, etc., the term dissociation can be used to describe a pattern of behaviors that serves to protect oneself and to get one's needs met. And it, it has existed or existed because of complex early childhood trauma. In present day in your lives, all human beings dissociate, whether it be and to shut off watching TV, playing on the phone, just kind of checking out, doing um, guided visualizations, and depending on your intention behind that activity and your relationship with the activity, it's either a maladaptive or an adaptive skill coping strategy. So as you go through your recovery process, if you find that you are engaging in dissociative practices as maladaptive coping strategies, excuse me, you definitely want to seek care, coach a clinician who is trauma-informed, who can support you in coming up to up, coming up with an action plan to help you return to the present moment. You can also seek out treatment that maybe you haven't tried before to help process and move through your trauma. One treatment strategy would be EMDR. There's also trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, among many others. So you can start on this podcast, I want to get you started in something that you can bring with you to treatment. You can bring with you to your coach, to your counselor, to your family members, just to kind of do a, a little exercise here. I can leave you with this for this week. And it's called the dissociative profile exercise. The dissociative profile is a process used to evaluate and become aware of one's own tendencies to dissociate both adaptively and maladaptively and to identify best strategies for directing one's knowing awareness back to the here and now. Therapists and helping professionals should first know their own dissociative profile by doing this. So if you're working with someone who isn't familiar with this exercise, maybe want to have them or ask them if they'd be willing to look into it so that 
they know their own tendencies and they're understanding the mechanisms behind normalizing dissociative experiences before you do that with them. That way, they can help you investigate your own without including any implicit or explicit biases. So this exercise is not only valuable as an exploratory device, exploratory, <laughs> but the knowledge gleaned from it can become a valuable part of your own treatment planning, especially if you're trying to manage your distress that may rise in between your sessions or in between stressful events in your life. So before you do this exercise, please remember once again that every human dissociates. It's natural and it's normal. This is not intended to be an exercise in shaming. It's just a focus on self-inquiry. So you're going to take out a piece of paper or get your notepad out on your phone and you're going to make two columns. You're going to title the left-hand column, My Dissociative Tendencies, and title the right-hand column, Strategies for Returning to the Present Moment. Take as much time as you need Make a list of the ways in which you tend to dissociate. This can be general patterns like zoning out or daydreaming when I'm bored, or spending time on Facebook wondering what everyone else is doing. You can take this inventory a step farther by noting if these strategies or behaviors are adaptive, meaning they work for you, maladaptive, meaning they work against you, or both, depending on the context. Also, make a little note about how often you engage in these dissociative strategies and if you have knowing awareness about what brings them about. Is it boredom, emotional pain? Are you overwhelmed? Is it conversations with certain people? After that left column feels complete, go to the right column. And beside each column on the left, make some notes about what helps you return to the present moment when you need to. This can be more like some intrinsic skills, things you might have learned in DBT or therapy or just, you know, in life in general, like mindfulness practice or grounding with solid objects or more externally motivating factors like hearing your child call you when they need you or, you know, um, petting your dog or your cat or your animal. Remember that this is not an interrogation it's nothing, it's not a high pressure. It's just a, a simply a true assessment of where you stand. Be free to be honest in your dissociative profile. And note, if you're not yet sure how to get yourself back to the present moment, because that's part of your action plan that you're going to need support with if you find that you don't know how. After finishing your own dissociative profile, take a moment to notice whatever you notice. Is there anything that surprises you? Is there anything that you ought to consider sharing with your coach or your therapist, your friend, your partner? How can you use what you discover to assist in your own recovery process and your healing? All right. So an example of the dissociative exercise or the dissociative profile exercise on the left column would be say, playing too much Candy Crush on the phone. And we can say that boredom is the thing that starts it off and can say, well, it doesn't seem to be a problem at the level of addiction. I just know I do it. And then on the right side, what helps me return to the present moment, for example, 
and say, sometimes my eyes get too strained or tired and that helps me put it down. When I know I have something more exciting or stimulating to work on, I stop. This can, can include having a conversation with people I enjoy. So that right there is an example of a dissociative tendency that maybe it's done just because you just want to play Candy Crush on your phone. And sometimes that's true, right? But maybe it's could be for someone else something that's maladaptive and it's done as an escape plan. So note your relationship, your tendency, your intention, your, I'm sorry, your intention behind the behavior that you're doing. And then begin the path of action plan. Your action plan should include some grounding techniques. So if you're not working with anyone that can support you, but you feel like, hmm, I really need some help right now, it's important to reach out. Getting help, even when you're hesitant, especially when you have a specific goal in mind, makes it pretty easy for someone to support you, a skilled clinician or a coach. So some things that can help you, just to, again, kind of kick off this exercise before I wrap up the podcast for today, are basic awareness and mindfulness and grounding strategies can go on that column. Breathing strategies. I've talked in the past about box breathing, and I've uh, linked a video in one of the episodes to a Mark Devine YouTube video where he's going through the breathing, the box breathing, and teaching how to do that. So you definitely want to check that out. You can also do some muscle tensing and releasing exercises, like progressive muscle relaxation. I'm sure you can find some of that stuff on YouTube as well. You can do visualization and multi-sensory soothing. Containment, I've talked a little bit about that on the podcast. Safety and containment work is very healing in trauma. In terms of trauma therapy, I was able to do that. I was fortunate enough to be able to do that in my past. And, you know, it's something that I definitely recommend. So containment is having a visual strategy or an actual physical container to quote-unquote hold material or some emotions or things that are intense until you have a better time to address those things. Movement is also very beneficial in terms of bringing back to the present moment. And, you know, being willing and able to identify other recovery capitals, such as support systems, hobbies, um, advocacy activities, community support resources, pets, mutual groups, self-help groups, and groups at your local church. So these uh, skills can be found on this Trauma Made Simple website. So I can put a link to that in the show in the podcast notes. So hopefully this is helpful for you guys. I know that a lot of people experience dissociation. I've been in sessions with people, and I've been in sessions myself where, if I want to get people's attention, you know, I might use, I might have used in the past, oh, I'm dissociating as a a way to get attention and makes sense because, like I said before, dissociative tendencies or dissociation is in part used to get needs met. And it comes from early childhood trauma. But if you're working towards being grounded and if you're working on growth-minded recovery and especially through the lens of coaching, which, you know, it's a, a little bit more of a push to get through it, then you really have to look at what your intention is there and also be willing not to label everything as dissociation because everyone dissociates. So get a hold of your escape plans. Go on a self-awareness and discovery journey so that you can provide yourself hope 
Because even for the times where you're dissociating because you're very distressed and your brain is so overwhelmed that has no other option, you can still learn to tell yourself that you're safe and no one's hurting you and no one's hurting anyone around you and you can access the right kind of help if you're ready, willing, and able to garnish that hope and to get yourself back on that recovery path. So thank you all so much for listening. And next week, we're going to have that recovery story for you. And I am going to be doing a series on addictions because I know that that has been so important to you guys. I've gotten a lot of questions on that. So we're going to hold off on a Q&A. The Q&A in the future episodes will be Q&A about the, that trauma experience, that escape experience when it comes to addiction and alcohol abuse and drug abuse in borderline personality disorder, and other clinical diagnosis and recovery. So I hope you guys all have a happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate, and I will see y'all next week for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Thanks for listening. That was From Borderline the Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeeterstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So, if you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD.